We're about to kick off an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio, brought to you by the fine folks over at, where else? Geekinthecity.com. If you enjoy this show, and I think you do, the best way to help us out is just spread the word. Uh, tell everybody that you enjoy listening to Geek in the City Radio on whatever social media platform you use, as well as giving us a five-star review on sites like iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or iHeartRadio. Those reviews go much farther than you would ever imagine in helping us climb the metrics, which uh, just gets us more listeners, which just makes us a bigger and more nerdier family for everyone to enjoy, which we're going to do right now with an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio. Stuff that makes you scream and shout. Hit the red alert. We're going more factor 12. Thanks for pressing play. Now we're gonna save the day. Alright. Hello everyone and welcome to Geek in the City issue 621. I am your other host, Spinarita. And I'm your other other host, Kate Wahashitani. <laughs> and uh Aaron Duran is away on uh on an away mission. I should have phrased that sentence differently. This show is already ruined. You know, we've always said on assignment. I don't know why in the years that we've been doing this, whenever any of us takes time away, we haven't called it an away mission because well, that you're would welcome. have been I so much it. more on brand. <laughs> I fixed it. Um, well, because Aaron's the one who usually says it, and he's been saying it the same way for like 15 years, and, um, you know, this show is a lot more Star Trek-y than it used to be. Yeah, that's true. That, that is very true. Um, why, hello, Denise. How was, how was your weekend? How was your week? Um... Ah. The weekend was fine. Yeah. Uh, my the past seven days have also been fine. Um, just just doing a bunch of pottery and trying not to think about the fact that it's been two business days in enough. Two business days of this week have already ended, and I haven't heard back from any of my job prospects. Trying to play it cool. And and yet we are told time and again, no one wants to work. Most of that conversation is is drawn around places who, uh, you know, where the minimum wage debate is sort of at war. Yes. The jobs that I'm going for are, um, I have to find a way to say this. It doesn't come off as like condescending or superior because I don't mean it that way at all. Um, there's jobs where a certain amount of experience and specific specific skills are requested and even if the pool of candidates is pretty small, what I've noticed is that the people who are hiring for these types of positions are very, very like deliberate and like will waffle back and forth about like, well, this person has these skills, but this person has this experience. And it just gets a lot more, not convoluted, but I don't know. It just, it slows things down. Maybe they're overthinking the situation. I'm pretty convinced I would be awesome at either of these jobs and you should just hire me. But 
I'm competing with probably kids with bachelor's degrees in those arenas, but maybe they don't have as much experience, blah, blah, blah. Hmm. I think, I think that that's part of it. I'm sure that if I, I went for a job at a local restaurant, I'd probably get hired more. Well, depending on who you ask, I'd probably get hired more quickly because I have food service experience. Restaurants are struggling to hire people. I wouldn't take that job because it's probably not going to pay what it should, but, uh, but that's a whole nother thing. I'm rambling. Let's move on. <laughs> it's totally fair though. Sorry. I no. was trying to look through. Um, so one of the things that before I, I'm sorry, I've screwed up my entire segue. Uh, I'm sorry. It's frustrating when you don't hear back from folks, regardless of how specialized the field that you're going into. Um, I, I remember that all too well, even though it's been it's like, I've been at the same job for seven and a half years. I still remember that two year period where I was unemployed and was still exceptionally busy and yet could not get for the, the, uh, the amount of interviews I received um, in proportion to the amount of applications I turned in um, were disgusting. Like it was, I want to say it was one to 50 ratio. And that seems like it's, um, that feels like that's being generous. Mm. It feels more like it was probably about one to 75. Because I don't remember going on that many interviews. And I do remember filling out at least five applications a week. When I was in my 20s, so like basically from the time I left active duty at age 21, 22, until probably until I was almost 30, um, I, 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 don't, I don't ever feel like I applied for that many jobs. But there was a point up until a certain point age, a certain point in my life, I could say I had been hired for every job I'd ever interviewed for. Mm. And, and I, I, I don't know if it was like times were different, but also like the types of jobs I was applying for were either like already like well within my skill set and experience. Maybe I was like shooting a little bit below what I maybe was capable of, but I definitely felt capable of what I was applying for. So I I was able to get those jobs much more easily. And it's only been in more recent years where I have felt like it's, you know, I have no idea. Maybe I felt good about the way that interview went, but I could not say like that, that Mm -hmm. confidence is gone. And it's like, it's really hard to know what exactly are the factors? Is it, is it the, is it the economy? Is it the market for, for work? Is it the industries? Is it the fact that I'm almost 40 and I'm not specialized in any one industry. So I don't look that strong for any particular job versus someone who has only worked or mostly worked in that industry where I'm trying to get the job. I will, I will mention this nowhere on your applications or your resume. Does it say how old you are? 
No, but if you have a certain amount of years of experience, people can kind of do the mental math. They can. Um, they're also not supposed to. Right. But what I meant more specifically is like the longer I've been a a working person in the civilian world, mm-hmm. the more jobs I've had. And I've never repeated the same industry twice. I've worked for banks. I've worked for medical, retail, alcohol, uh, corporate furniture, uh, all, you know, it's just like such a broad, wide swath. And so if, if you're looking for exposition, which is, let's say, a ge- like of, of general skills, like administrative research, uh, reception, general things skills. like <laughs> general skills, um, you can be a receptionist anywhere, but once you start trying to move beyond what the, what is considered an entry level job into higher tiers of work, mm-hmm. um, people expect people want to hire someone who has experience in that industry. So I'm like, I might have all the skills I need for this job, but the company I'm applying for has a is a marketing company. Well, they really want someone with a marketing background, for example. For example. Yeah. And if you see that I have a bunch of experience, but there's like six different industries and none of them is marketing that I think that that makes me a harder sell. Mm -hmm. I try to, I try to push it the other way. I'm like, I look how flexible I am. I'm so dynamic. I could pivot into any concept and and industry, but I don't know. I don't know who's buying that. Being a specialist in so it, at work, I am a generalist. I am not a specialist. My specialization is being a generalist. That is a hard sell for most places because most places think, well, that's anybody. Anyone can do that. I'm like, no, there is there is a difference. You can have general qualifications, general qualifications um, and, and do certain and do that. But it's another thing to... I think when I I say um, being a generalist is a specialization, I'm referring specifically to when you hit that level of you're no longer just a generalist, you're actually an operations manager. Exactly. Operations and projects managers have to be generalists. They have to know a little bit about a lot so that they can help manage all of those tasks. Um. And managers are rarely looking for other managers because they don't want someone to replace their job. Yeah. And that's, that's part of it, right? It's like, I, I, I'm not asking for a manager position or I'm not, I'm not buying for managerial positions. I'm buying for this and, you know, like leadership skills. I'm like, well, those are important. And they indicate that I am like capable in a number of different ways, mm-hmm. but like you have to be concise so I don't talk about leadership skills anymore um, unless I think it might apply even conceptually in, at a job application. And then you have what is what do they consider leadership skills versus what do you consider leadership skills? Well, I mean, that's a whole can of worms because my leadership, my concept of leadership comes from a very different world than the one I'm living in now. Mm-hmm. Like I, I have told people that my particular management style is that if if I'm managing a group of people and 
we do well, then the the success is because of the team. If we fail, the failure is mine. Mm -hmm. Um, I do not cotton to the other way around. Um, And I hear the argument. It's like, well, you know, but what people on your team aren't doing their work. It's like, then that means you haven't been doing your job as a manager in the first place. You haven't tried to reach any of those people on a level that you need to, to get them to work the way that you want them to. And sure. Yes. You are going to have the odd person who's just a jackass and isn't going to do anything. That's usually when you should have taken the step of, well, that person is fired because they are damaging the rest of the group. Mm -hmm. Um, Norm brought up uh, about this topic Um, having talked to people who hire in big companies, they look for people who stand out and who can be team players. What's funny about that statement is those are counterpoints. Yes. Those are, those are two people who stand out and people who are team players. They are not the same thing at all. So that's, that's the problem with hiring managers. (laughs) Hiring is a really difficult thing to do, especially Mm -hmm. if you're in an environment where like, oh, the culture and like the vibe and the personality that you present is really important, which is something that I had to contend with a lot in the brief period where I I did have to interview my own potential employees or, you know, employees of the company. I'm like, well, yeah, they seem really cool. And, you know, they were stylish. That's important. Uh, in a fancy optical shop um but i'm worried about their technical skills Mm -hmm. like oh yeah they would like be able to schmooze and socialize with a customer really really well but they didn't know what i meant by you know like what pos systems are you familiar with or what's your what's your um oh now i'm gonna forget the the term customer information database thing um and then vice versa i might have someone who's like got a ton of experience and has like lab skills i'm like obviously this is a really really strong optician way better than me because i was never that good of an optician like but they're really like they're too direct and abrasive and that doesn't like that's not the vibe my boss wants so like how do i choose between these two candidates so you want people that that have both uh hard skills that can have metrics that can be weighed and measured and, and they also have to have soft skills, which are customer service interfacing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and that's hard to find. It's hard to find people who have both. Yep. And it's also hard to be able to identify those things in a 30 to 60 minute conversation. Mm-hmm. And a single sheet of paper. Yeah. <laughs> Or a cover letter. I think cover letters are bullshit. Uh, I think they're on par with um, artist statements. With what statements? Artist statements. I'm not familiar with artist statements. You've been to art shows. You've had to read them on the wall. Is that what you call the, the little story or informational that goes next to individual pieces? Often it's the about the artist or it is the specific statement that the artist has to uh, put together in words about the work itself. Mm. And 
I've had to write them and I write them in such a way that shows that I have disdain for writing artist statements, which puts me in the category of like, oh, he's one of those fucking artists who thinks he's too good to write a regular artist statement and actually interact with people that way. So like, like even I can't escape one of the many stereotypes of artists and their artist statements. Um, (laughs) They, they're, they force an artist to put in words what they have already put on walls. Um, the work is supposed to be there for you to interpret and have dialogue about your interpretation and sometimes with the artist themselves about what their interpretation is. Um, right. and the, if art, the-, the artist statement allows a art critic to read it off the wall and make an assessment of whether or not the artist has actually managed to do, uh, achieve that in their work the hell was that that was weird was yeah. a small bomb going off downtown i i see okay i gotcha no i i would agree with that and i with that with the statement that those things are, are similar i well i'm not terribly concise as much as i'd like to wish that i were and but i would i would much rather be able to have a dialogue with somebody about who i am or like what my what my strengths and weaknesses are or like the things that i'm passionate about I can't put that on one half sheet of paper. I, I hate it. I hate it so much. Uh, my cover letters are still usually about uh, a paragraph at most. I have a boilerplate. I have like templates and I just tweak them per job application if I have to have it. If, yep. if, if, if I'm giving the option of providing a cover letter, I do not provide one. And maybe that's to my detriment, but... I also do not wish to be made to jump through hoops just for the promise of someone's time. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll die broke, but there you have it. You know, it would help all this. <laughs> Universal basic income. Boy, howdy. Well, before we get into like a 90 minute socialist rant, I do want us to hear about your week and weekend before um, we get too far away. Sure. Uh, I took, I took a week off, which I haven't done since, uh, 2017. That sounds I, right. I, I went through and, and clocked it that that was the last time I took a vacation. Um, and, and that in and of itself was, I just took a week off from work and stayed in Portland and didn't, you know, just basically did nothing at home. Um, Rest is a vacation. Yeah. Yes, but it's also, I would like to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, in this particular case, I opted to take uh, take five days and go visit my, um, my parents out on the coast, which I did. Um, I... Uh, they live down in Florence. So uh, I took a bus down to Eugene and they met me there. And so I spent Thursday through Monday with them, um, which was really nice because it, we, it was expected to rain the entire time I was there and it did at night, but it was sunny during the day. I mean, it's still November, so we weren't running around on the, it's the Oregon coast. No one runs around on the beach in shorts. I, and, I mean, it's almost ever, right? No, it's it, not, not, not that kind of beach. It's not what it's for. But we, we did a lot of uh, hiking. We went down to Yahats for <laughs> an afternoon to watch the king tide come in, which I was informed has to do with 
phases of the moon and it basically makes for a particularly turbulent um, tide. Is, th- is that what happens like right after the new moon? Yes. Yes, it is. Um, and it's, you know, it's one of those things that if you live in a coastal town, that's what everyone's doing. They come down to look at the king tide. They just stand there for a few hours watching water, <laughs> which I get. Like I, I love going to our coast and just just enjoying the frigid water and mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the chill waves. Um, had some really good fish and chips, uh, mm. went on hikes, saw newts. Did you know that we have fire belly? They're not fire fire bellied newts. They're called <laughs> rough skinned newts, which sounds like the most boring name. They're like brownish, reddish brown, and and bumpy, except for their underside is bright orange. Huh. I'm like, why did this thing not get called a fire bellied newt? I don't I don't understand. Um, also, reminder for folks. If you see an animal in nature that is a bright, vibrant color, that usually means don't pick them up. They're uh, poisonous. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh. Which I, I had to remind my mother twice as she was picking them, them up and handling them, going, look, see, it's cute. I'm like, they're, they're still poisonous, mom. Put them down. <laughs> I mean, poisonous to who or in what way? Sometimes it's not poisonous to touch, but don't eat it. It is, it, they do secrete a, a small toxin. And they're not called fire belly newts. What did you say they are called? Ruffed, rough skinned newts. Yeah. I look this yep. little buddy up. They're really cute though. I mean, I did pick it up. Yeah. But I also had gloves on. Mm. Um, oh yeah. He's all scaly. He looks like stucco. Mm-hmm. Um, discovered that there are more there is a more wildlife in the florence area than i would have guessed um twice this year my folks have come across bears on their walks like the most close encounter with them is one that came out of the brush and onto the trail five feet in front of my dad that's a that's a day and then my mom and the, their dog were right behind him. And they all just kind of stopped and stared at each other. And then the bear went off. <laughs> it's like it had zero interest. It's like, oh, hi there. I mean, I think most of the time bears don't really care about us. They're just doing their bear thing. There are some bears that you that don't do that. Like you can't never expect that to be the encounter if you encounter a grizzly bear or a polar bear. I mean, I don't. I'm never going to get closer to a bear. Once sure. I see the bear, I double back the other way because all bears could kill me. They didn't see this bear. They heard something that they thought was a dog and then it come, came out of the brush and it was a bear. They're like, okay then. Um, but yeah, like polar bears and grizzly bears are both apex predators. We can't defeat them. <laughs> oh, we know... We know what the thing is about apex predators. And we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a, it was a nice weekend. Uh, I actually taught them how to play a, a cooperative board game. It was the first time they've played any cooperative games and they both enjoyed it. Which My game mom, was it? Uh, Flashpoint. Okay. It's a firefighting game. 
or your, your firefighters trying to save people from a burning house. Um, Sounds wholesome. If you're interested, uh, like Will Wheaton's tabletop has a playthrough of how to play the game. Uh, I'm sure like uh, Shut Up and Sit Down has done playthrough and uh, oh crap. There's another show that, that does playthrough of games uh, that's hosted by Becca Scott and I can't remember what it's called, but they're all worthwhile. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it was a good time. My mom usually gets uh, overwhelmed by games. Like she always played games as a kid and didn't like them because they were too competitive or the mm. people that she played with were too competitive. And so that, that, you know, sets her off. And uh, so that she'd never played a cooperative game before. So I was able to sit there and go through them like this, how you do this and say, you do this. And it required less explanation as we went along because then she's like, oh, okay, I'm going to do this and this and this. So you guys can go do this. I'm like, you get it. Fantastic. That's perfect. all we can hope for. We played a couple of rounds of that. So that was fun. Sat around Great. like in the evenings and watched uh, British comedies. Sounds like a good, sounds like a good long weekend. Yep. And then I had today off as well. So I go back to work tomorrow. I bookended my trip by days where I was just home. So that's that's my new thing now. I can't I can't work, go home, pack, fly, do the thing, and then come home at night and work the next morning. Oh, absolutely I used to not. do that. I used to have zero downtime between mm-hmm. working and whatever traveling I was going to do. And I I literally cannot anymore. And because we've learned that's not how we should do things. It's not good for us. It's better to have a little space in between. I, I just kind of, when, it, when I started feeling like I needed to do that, I kind of figured it was an age thing. Like, I just don't have the energy to, to do that anymore. I have to, especially if it's a, a, a travel that is like more vacation-y versus like visiting family, which tends to be a little more on the restful side in general. Mm-hmm. Versus like travel, travel. Um, I mean, it can be. Sometimes it, visiting family can be more stressful depending on your family. Right. Yeah. No, it, everyone, everyone's experience is is different. But for me, visiting home is mostly chill. Like even if we go out a bunch, it's mm-hmm. let's go out to dinner. Let's stroll around the mall or like maybe drive out to some touristy thing for the day. Mm-hmm. But it's mostly chill downtime. Um, but it's the, it's the traveling part of it too, like getting it coming, coming back. That is, is difficult. I used to book flights early in the day so that I would still have most of the day to do things when I arrived and I would book flights late as possible. So I would have, you know, like you, you want to maximize the time off, the limited time off that you have. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, get home at like midnight and have to go to work in the morning because you used up all your time off. Yep. There is a part of me that's like, man, I really wish I wasn't throwing away two of my vacation days on the pre and post preparations of traveling, but you just need it. I feel like that's because we don't, we don't talk about that. We don't talk about like we fall into the patterns of this is what everyone else does. So that's how I'm supposed to do it. Right. And every time we figure out a, a way to maximize our time, we we consider it a hack and we keep it to ourselves versus going, 
why am I running around like a crazy person? <laughs> why am I intentionally burning myself out? Mm-hmm. That's not the point of a vacation. And like again, Americans brag about the amount of time that they work and the amount of time that they spend working versus the amount of time that they spend enjoying doing things in their life. If only we could live forever. Oh, God, no. I don't want to do that either. That was not a good segue. I tried. This, however, is a great segue to talk about our other sponsors. First up, Bridge City Comics, one of the city's greatest comic book shops. You need to check them out at 3725 North Mississippi Avenue in Portland, Oregon. They have all the comics you could ever possibly want. And if they don't have them and it's still in print, Bridge City Comics can order them for you. Uh, They also do pre-orders. For instance, um, the Old Guard Tales Through Time uh, trade paperback from uh, our friend Greg Rucka and many, many others. This is like an anthology series. is um, coming out pretty soon. I think the final order cutoff was uh, last weekend, but uh, pop on in at Bridge City Comics. Maybe they can make sure that they hold one of them for you. Or even better, start a subscription box. That way you can just add titles to your subscription box and never miss a title. Um, the only thing is like try to go in at least once a month and you know pick up the books. Be, be a good comic book shop supporter for good comic book shops like Bridge City Comics. 3725 North Mississippi Avenue in Portland, Oregon. And when you're there, thank them for being a sponsor of Geek in the City Radio. Just like... Guardian Games, 345 Southeast Taylor Street in Portland, Oregon. They have been reviewed as basically the Powells of game shops. I will, however, add, without all the horrible labor practices. Um, uh, That's my opinion of Powells. Don't sue. Um, But that's not my opinion of Guardian Games. They are a fantastic store with great people who work there that can help you find the game you're looking for. But even more importantly... They can help you find the game you didn't know you were looking for. Say you're kind of new to getting beyond the board games you can buy at a mass retailer. Like you're tired of whatever from like Hasbro and and stuff like that. You don't want, you know, Monopoly or or Sorry or or any of those games. You want to have some fun. You want to try something different. Maybe something that's cooperative instead of competitive. But you don't know what you like. Go talk to some of the folks at Guardian Games. They will pick your brain. They'll ask what you're into. Genres, game length, complexity, all those things. And they will help you narrow it down to the game of your choice. And that's just one of the more amazing things that can happen at Guardian Games. 345 Southeast Taylor Street in Portland, Oregon. And when you're there, thank them for sponsoring Geek in the City Radio. Well, I was, I was, I, yeah. We've given two hints. Um, <laughs> Actually, before we get into this, because I okay. think this is our only topic of the night, correct? Mostly, yeah. I think so so. I, I want us to not forget um, our live read. Oh, you mean for PDX Asylum? The very same. You At 3713 Southeast Hawthorne Boulevard? That's the one. Oh, what's it across from again? The Baghdad Theater. All right. I feel like they just did a thing. Like I was out of town and didn't get to participate, but didn't they do a thing? Wasn't there a thing? They super did. So they just celebrated their 10-year anniversary. Uh, mm-hmm. And their way of celebrating that was to give you, the listeners, uh, a 10% discount store-wide. Um, Not and- just the listeners. I mean, yes, all of the listeners, but... but- also us. 
it, it, it was it was gifts for everybody. A ten percent off. Yeah. And so Deb and Anton wanted to share with everyone um, how much gratitude they have for uh, for our listeners who went out to Asylum last weekend and helped make it so successful. Apparently, it went really, really well. I know that Aaron Aaron and his partner, the lovely Jen, um, like took half the store home. Um, yeah, I'm excited. To, I'm excited to see how, how they're, how they're, that, that's, those spaces are going to look once they've uh, finished setting that up. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, additionally, uh, on top of like saying thank you to everyone who, who came out and, you know, helped them celebrate and continue to be a successful local business. They wanted to share that um, if you did or regardless of whether you made it out there uh, during this this event, um, that's not all, folks. There are still products that have not made it to Asylum yet, or maybe just haven't even been a patch, so they didn't get to be presented during this sale event. Um, so I, I, that's what I'm like. What I'm, my my thing that I always like to share is like always keep going back to Asylum because there's always going to be more new and different stuff. And especially right now that the holidays are upon us, that's when they like they really work to get an influx of things uh, to share with everyone. That's fantastic. Yeah, they're still receiving shipments of merchandise, uh, and so like that the process of unboxing and, and getting those things on the shelves is is an ongoing process. Uh, and they are going to have uh, some like special holiday specific stuff as well. He's just not shared with what uh, those with us today, but they will be sharing that out as those things come in so that they can kind of guarantee you guys uh, the basically the rest of the year. Sure. And you can find all of that on facebook.com backslash PDX asylum. Yay. All right. Uh, now what- we're ready. Are we ready? Would you say that some of those items that you can get it at? Um... No, no, it's dumb. I'm sorry. I probably already lost the segue. <laughs> let's just let's just be direct. Okay. Uh, so on my, since this was also a day off for me, um, I had proposed to Denise last week that perhaps we watch the Eternals, and that's yeah. something that we could cover in as spoiler free as we possibly could. Since right. it, it is another Marvel movie that is theater only, which means that it's not yet streaming on Disney Plus. Um, I do want to shout this out right now. If you go watch it at Regal Cinemas, um, one of the commercials that you will see during Nuvi, which is still one of the most annoying things ever. But during Nuvi, there's an ad for this tiny little blue robot thing that begins with an M. It's four letters. I don't even remember what the ad was for. However, my cousin and her son are featured in the ad because they're both actors. <laughs> so that was, that's yeah. like I so unexpected. Uh, that thing is called Miko, by the Miko. way. Miko. Okay. M-I-K-O. So, my cousin uh kelsey umeko mcgann is an actress as is her husband kurt and their um first son uh keo has also been getting booked as um 
for ads, they do a lot of things solo, like Keo will get an ad or, you know, Kelsey will get an ad, Kurt, Kurt will get an ad. Um, they also book things together. Um, and Kelsey is uh, Japanese. Um, and uh, Kurt is uh, Caucasian. Um, so they're a mixed race couple. They have a mixed race kid. So that also plays well. Like sometimes booking agents will just book all three of them for an ad or for a show or, you know, because it's like, well, this is perfect. We needed more diversity for this thing. And now here it is. They have the total package. Yep. Uh, Kelsey and I, like, it's been years since we've seen each other, but we correspond uh, every so often. Uh, like she's been fascinated with all the haunt work that I did for years. She's like, this is great. What, what are you doing? What, who's your agent? And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not an actor like you. I'm just a, I just do this. She's like, okay, you ever change your mind. Let me know. I, I know people. It's like, hmm. I mean, it is the family business. We, she did get into it because um, her, her aunt, my other cousin um, is a talent agent. Um. so that that's i believe that's how that ball started rolling one of the fascinating uh things that uh kelsey and kurt did a uh i'm not sure if it's a independent film or uh, some sort of short tv thing um but it was shot up in at a fairgrounds in washington state and like they were they were both playing, he was like playing a, a full, uh, he was playing a cop with lots of armor and, and such. And she was paying a federal agent. So she was um, in a suit, but then she was walking around the fairgrounds and discovered that the fairgrounds were used to house um, Japanese Americans during the internment and mm-hmm. kind of walked through the whole thing, read this thing. She's like, like I came here to do a job and I was not expecting to get assaulted by my cultural history in Whoa. this country. Um, uh, I'm going to peel back the curtain. I know this is way off topic. I'm sorry. Um, the Hashitanis and most of our family and uh, my grandmother's family, the Wakasugis, were not in camps because they had moved far enough inland that they were, while they were watched like a hawk in their communities, they were still excluded from being moved out. Um, However, since my grandmother and grandfather lived far enough inland, they took in a couple of my grandmother's family members so that they did not get thrown into a camp. Uh, which included, I believe, Kelsey's uh, grandmother and grandfather. And and so like her mom and her sisters. So, which is why our family is close knit, but nobody talked about this. Like my, my dad's generation, my grandmother's generation, except for the one of uh, her brothers that worked very hard to get reparations for Japanese Americans. Um, he was doing this work back in the seventies and eighties. Um, the family just didn't talk about it. We did, they didn't talk about the war at all. Um, and then 
neither did my dad's generation. Uh, they would talk about it if you brought it up. Um, so there's a lot of people in my generation, in our family, that are learning about it really late, in like in their 20s and 30s going, I'm sorry, we were what? <laughs> so... So yeah, that was that was one of the more fascinating stories that she relayed to me, and I was like, "Yeah, you don't know any of this because of this." And I gave her some information. She's like, "Yep, didn't know any of that." Wow, mm-hmm. that's so interesting that this came up today because just today I was catching up on an episode of All the Asians on Star Trek, mm-hmm. and they talked about something that I mean, maybe I learned it in passing once upon a time as a kid, but I, it was not actively in my brain. I did not know that the internment camps was mostly, if not strictly, coastal, but that if you lived in more central parts of the United States, yes, they still watched you, but the internments didn't happen for you. Correct. Because I guess, um, I don't know, it just seemed le- it seemed less likely that, that, that people uh, – of Japanese origins could be in communications with their, with their home governments if they lived in the middle of the continent rather than the edges, something about radios. It had more to do with, they were afraid of sabotage along the Western seaboard. Mm, Okay. That, that makes a little more sense. Sorry. I should, I should amend that. That was the story they sold. Mm. As to Uh, why some and not others. Yes. Okay. Um, I mean, whatever reason you have, uh, not good enough. No, not not really. Uh, So it's it's just like, you know, um, splitting hairs at that point. But Mm -hmm. it's just something that I I learned about essentially today. And and, then here it is again. From from random stories about my cousin who's in a commercial. If you go watch this at a regal Uh, cinema. So, hi, Kelsey. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, we went to watch The Eternals today. <laughs> I feel like that story is a little related in that if you're unfamiliar with The Eternals, and again, we're going to keep this spoiler free, um, we've actually decided to focus a bit on the mythology behind the, the characters in the movie. Um, but it does cover... Uh, a span of 7,000 years of human history. And that means there were some horrible things that humans did to one another. This was one of those things. And, and they don't shy away from that in the movie, which I, I did appreciate. Like they could have gotten a lot deeper, but they went just enough that, you know, they, if you do a movie about, beings that are on earth for 7,000 years, they've seen us do some great things and seen us do some lousy things. Yeah. Uh, and not, not all of them are from way back when. <clears throat> so um, I'm trying to think the spoiler free synopsis that I gave to Merrick because she didn't go with us. Um, it's essentially 7,000 years ago, super bad beings come to the planet to protect them at the behest of a creature called a celestial. They're bad guys. They're good guys. Chaos ensues. Things happen. 
but that's that they're called eternals because they they live forever the the thing that i enjoy about you know the fact that it's you know when you're telling a story about beings who have been around for you know pretty much all of modern human society um is when but but the but the the key events are what's happening right now like why are we dropping in to learn about these eternal beings um they they do that thing where they they back they flash back us to different events uh that they were involved in mm-hmm. over those you know over the course of those 7000 years and they and they parse it out to you in a way that keeps it relevant to the events that are happening right now. Um, I I think I do want to say too before we get we start getting into mythology and the origins of the comics. Um, I enjoyed the movie. Um, I, I think you you said the same, but we like we kind of split off right after the movie to go run our own errands and then so this is the first time that both of us are getting to talk about it with you the listener um i enjoyed the movie i i I certainly was not as um emotionally involved as i was when we went to go see shang chi for obvious reasons um because that one was the one that i was like come on come on um and I swear to God, after the 19th, when it finally hits Disney Plus and people can watch it, I I am opening the floodgates. I'm yeah, not so going to sh- watch it. Yeah, I am not shutting up about Shang Chi for at least a week. Um, because oh my god, <laughs> I I agree with you. I was more emotionally invested in Shang Chi. Mm-hmm. than I was with the Eternals. But they're, they're similar concepts in terms of like, oh, we got to save the world. We have special powers with which to do that, but so mm-hmm. do the bad guys. Mm-hmm. That's all objectively the same, but they're the same story told two very different ways. I also appreciate that this did not feel like a typical Marvel movie. Um I like in the same way that Shang-Chi didn't feel like just a Marvel movie. Um, like there were parts of it that were very Marvel. And then there are other parts of it, like, Nope, this is, this is something different. Um, I think the Eternals stands alone um, as, as its own, as its own thing. And I think that that has a lot to do with, the casting choices that they made as well as uh, the direction of Chloe Zhao mm-hmm. who, you know, Academy Award winning Chloe Zhao. So um, she made she made the choice to shoot most of this on location. So there is less green screen than you would find in most of these movies. Like uh, I love Shang Chi, but there's there's a lot of green screen in that movie. Mm. Yeah. Well, there's. Never mind. I'm not gonna like 
dissect that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the credits, you can see it in the credits. There are so many different national um, groups. Uh, as as you're watching, as you're, as you're waiting for your post-screen magic to happen, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, Ontario and Columbia and did they? Yeah, they were they yeah. were all over the place with it. And and of course, like you can't you can't talk about Babylon and London and like South American rural villages without you know. I mean, you you actually can, you going can, there. Yeah, yeah. And I think that like any any filmmaker worth their salt will push to say, no, these places are real. They exist. Why would we fake it? Mm-hmm. Um, here's, here's the thing that everyone should know. Like, it amazes me that we still see people walk out of the walk out of any Marvel movie <laughs> during credits. Um, there are the actor credits. Like so, at the end of the movie, they do the starring so and so and so and so and so and so. Those are the fancy Mar- ones yeah. with a bunch of visual fancy effects. ones, and it says Marvel's Eternals. Then you get that first post-credit sequence. Then you go through the entire credits of the movie, and then there's another credit post-credit scene. So there's two of them. Please stay for all of them. They're both relevant. I think they've only not done that once since they started giving you two. I'm not going to remember which movie it was. But one time there was no second post-credit. Mm. Oh, Endgame. That makes sense. That would make sense. Actually, I don't remember Endgame having any post-credit sequences. My memory is not good enough for that. Because <laughs> Spider-Man Far From Home had... Two and then Shang-Chi has two. And both oh man, watch both of them. Um and this has two. I, I would imagine that uh Spider-Man No Way Home is going to have two as well. That movie's gonna be nuts. <laughs> Uh, like knowing what I've seen in both Shang-Chi and Eternals, like I, Spider-Man's going to be nuts. <laughs> there is a Marvel wiki, obviously, mm-hmm. but in the Marvel wiki, there is a thing that um, outlines the phases of the film, oh. uh, mm-hmm. provides an image for each one, and then a description of what the post-credit scene is and then they split off into phase two and that's where you see two two images with details about the post-credit scenes so two scenes so um thor the dark world was the first time you get two 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 avengers age of ultron only gets one looks like and then Going, Guardian, Spider-Man, Thor, Ragnarok, Black Panther, Captain Marvel, Black Widow. Oh, that's different because that's a show. Shang-Chi. Okay, so it looks like Avengers Age of Ultron is the one that only gets one after they initiate the two post-credits scene. Mm. Uh, 
rule set up. Interesting. I'm trying to remember what the post credit sequence was in Age where, of Ultron. Where is Endgame? I have to find Endgame. Um, but oh yeah, there's I don't see Endgame on here, so I guess that means Endgame doesn't have any. Avengers yeah. Infinity War is on there with its one post credit scene. Okay, so that's two. Never mind. There are no rules. Marvel does whatever the hell it wants. You're, you're not wrong. <laughs> uh, but all this to say, you know, just play it smart. You paid like $25 for that movie ticket. Stay until the end of the credits. You never know yep. what might happen. So for folks who are unfamiliar with the Eternals, and I think we've talked a little bit about this before. Um, I, I feel like Aaron is a little more well-versed in this. Um, the Eternals are were created by Jack Kirby. Um, he had left Marvel to go work at DC and did a bunch of work at DC and then came back to um, Marvel. And they're like, we want you to, it's like, he kind of came to them and went, I want to do this. And this was kind of uh, Kirby's um, personal fascination with uh, mythology um, and spirituality and and, and uh, religion, and so that's like it. the The ten characters who are in the the movie are um, you have Ajax, you have Icarus, Circe, Fina, uh, Kingu, you have Gilgamesh. Um, Druig, Festos, Sprite, and Makari. And some of those are phonetic duplicates to who they were in, in mythology. Like Circe is uh, from Greek mythology and she was it. She gets used a lot in Wonder Woman comics as a, as a villain because she's a, an enchantress and a sorceress. In Greek mythology, Icarus is, of course, the a man who flew too close to the sun. Yep, he and his uh, is him and his father Daedalus. They were attempting to escape Crete, so they made themselves wings. And Icarus, of the two of them, flew too too high, and it melted the wax that held his wings together. I always liked uh, that story. Hmm. I always liked that story. Yeah, not as good. a not as a message necessarily, mm-hmm. but just like a, as a like a visually, right. aesthetically, I guess. Um, Ajax is taken from Ajax the Great, who was a a hero. He was the son of King Telamon and Periboa, um, and I guess he's mentioned in the Iliad. And it was also brought up in the, he was in the Trojan War. And that's the character that's played by uh, Selma Hayek. Or Gemma Chan plays Cersei and um, Rob Stark, sorry, Richard Madden plays Icarus. (laughs) Uh, Then we have uh, the character Thena, who is clearly Athena. Mm -hmm. um, And that's played by... um, Angelina Jolie. Angelina Jolie. Um, 
We have Phaistos, who the who's kind of the the builder and tech guy for the Eternals, uh, who's of course Hephaestus. I totally had a hard time with that because I was hearing uh, Faustus, mm. which I, I, I am is a name I'm familiar with, even if I don't know why I'm familiar with that name either. Uh, Faustus is uh, Faust, and Faust is the uh, man who there's a, a play and a musical, or not a musical, but an opera about uh, Faust and his deal with the devil. Mm, ah okay thank you so but, uh, but this is Hephaestus. not that guy yeah Hephaestus. for Hep- for hephaestus for hephaestus or vulcan um and then we have uh makari who it took me a minute and then i'm like oh of course of course that's who it is makari is then mercury or hermes mm-hmm. the messenger god the god of speed um so those are like Circe, Icarus, Ajax, um, Fina, Festos, and Makari are all from Greek and Roman myths. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have um, Gilgamesh, who is directly out of Babylonian myth, um, and Kingu, who is also from Babylonian myth. Um, Gilgamesh is, most of our listeners will probably know Gilgamesh from the tale of Gilgamesh and Enkidu that gets told by Captain Picard in uh, Darmok. The episode Darmok, where it's Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. <laughs> um, when they're trading stories, Picard tells the Tamarian to captain the tale of Gil- Gilgamesh and Enkidu and tries to tell it in the same way that um, the Darmok... Yeah, the Darmok story, um, which, no, that might be a spoiler, so I'm not going to talk about that, but that does play into some of the sequences in the film. Um, Kingu, on the other hand, is um, the child and later consort to Tiamat, who is part of creation myth. Um, in Babylonian tales, uh, Abzu was Kingu's father, and Abzu and Tiamat uh, created a race of monsters and fought against the heavens and were finally defeated by the Babylonian god Marduk. And, uh, and so that's that is also a fun tale to that ties into the movie like they they did a lot of neat things where they wherever they borrowed mythology from you kind of get to see those things play out in the movie in very subtle ways which i appreciate um then the last two characters are um sprite and druig sprite doesn't have a direct uh, mythological comparison yeah um, but they they are definitely fairy folk. Like everything yes. about them. Sprites, yeah. fairies, pixies are all sort of generally in the same category. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, this is the character who presents as a child. And creates Whereas, illusions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And he's uh, a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Uh, Druig is the only one that does also doesn't seem to have a direct, or not the only one, the other one that doesn't seem to have a direct correlation. Uh, there's some folks that think he is Dolus, who is uh, the spirit of trickery from Greek mythology. Okay. I am like uh, skimming through a write-up from Mashable, it looks like, where they're actually sort of breaking these each down. Um, And the only comparisons that they have are the fact that Druig is one of many of the different ways uh, that you, uh, like from like ancient British language, uh, that's like steps in for the word dragon. But that doesn't really, I feel like, line up with that character or that or their powers no i i would agree with that that that's that's not what that character does um i think that uh each of these uh actors that that play these characters um i forgot to mention who those were like gilgamesh is don lee um kingu is uh Nanjani. yeah Nanjani, and um Drug is you said Barry. What did you say? Uh, oh geez, I'm Keegan. gonna forget now. Barry Keegan. Yes. And uh Sprite is oh I forget her last name. Or her mm. name entirely. I didn't bring that up. I'm a jerk. Oh, and this this list does not have the actor names. So uh, cast, here we go. Cast Sprite, Sprite, Johnny, Lisa McHugh. Lisa McHugh. No, I'm sorry, I misread that. Leah McHugh. Oh, okay. Uh, I do know that um, the comic series was not finished um, by Kirby. Uh, it did get revisited uh, by Neil Gaiman. Interesting. So I think Neil Gaiman kind of put together a more modern finishing of, of the book. Mm. I, I f- like, I feel dumb because I actually have a copy of Gaiman's Eternals on the shelf. I've just never read it. I have a lot and, of comics I've never read. Yeah. I, I will now. <laughs> so uh, would you like, uh, I know that this is more of like a wrapping up kind of conversation, but we're on it now. Did this movie make you want to read more? about or read read the source material uh yes um largely because well i recognize the names like i recognize the eternals i recognize um celestials uh which this is the most we get of the celestials and the lore around celestials um in the mcu because they've only been mentioned once before i think they were they were brought up in um, the first Guardians of the Galaxy. There's a second one. Well, well no, wait, maybe maybe only the in the first Guardians is the one where they go to that city out in space that is built on the body, the corpse of a dead celestial, right? Just the head. Okay, but isn't Peter Quill's? biological father also a celestial he's not a celestial what is he uh, he's he's a planet well i guess he is 
Yeah, you're right. I guess they did make him um, a celestial. But he, like, he is... They bring up the celestials in uh, the first Guardians of the Galaxy when they're explaining what the stone is. Because that's when they, they we get the first real explanation of what the Infinity Stones are and what they can do. Um, gotcha. I believe it's the collector that tells them the story. Uh, because they were supposed to have been bringing the power stone to him. Right, right. Um, but yes, you're right. There is very, thus far, there has been very, very little uh, time or explanation spent on who and what the Celestials are. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that uh, knowing knowing this getting this out there will will help people go oh yeah i do want to go see that because like we were we were talking about before the show this movie because of its cast because of its director because of the themes that they wanted to cover in the movie became the uh became the target of um review bombing before the movie even opened, I believe it was on Rotten Tomatoes that they, um, people uh, crying foul because the movie was too diverse or what have you, mm-hmm. um, review bombed the movie, giving making sure it had like had a one star rating before the movie had even opened, and that I I'm tired of members of fan bases doing this shit um it's very very exhausting um i hadn't heard that this was happening for this film though i'm i'm not surprised um i I'm curious how many of the people who are mad about it are familiar with the source material or are even like fans of it. Is it just, is it just racism? It's just racism. It is 100% racism. That is because none of them had seen the movie. They didn't care. It was just all the bullshit that you could think of. So yeah, that's like eh. it's exhausting because we as film goers just want to go and enjoy a movie. Right. Um and if a movie's bad, yes, fine. Say that it's like, ah, eh, this wasn't for me. I didn't like it. That's totally fair. Going out of your way to spend hours a week before a movie comes out for a movie that you haven't seen and aren't going to go see to spend writing negative reviews for it that are based on no reality whatsoever. Why? <laughs> the, the bitchy person in me just wants to be like, well, because you have no control over anything else in your life. And this is something that you think that you can control and you're full of hate already. So there <laughs> you go. Uh, but, but like objectively, like I, I, I'm beyond the point of being from frustrated and I just, 
don't care anymore. If a movie is good, it's good. It's especially when we're talking about like Disney slash and or blockbuster films. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I'm trying to think of an example where this, like this preemptive strike against a movie that has some element in it that you don't like, such as diversity or, you know, like changing up who the lead is or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, when has that worked? When was the last time a movie bombed because, because you know, like pissy white fanboys wanted it to? Here's the thing, though. It's not just, it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to work against this film. You can go ahead and choose a Disney movie or a Marvel movie as your target because, of course, it's not going to work. Of course, it's not going to affect the bottom line for this movie, but it will because it's a high profile um, movie, it will get attention and it will then get attention of media, which then run it because they aren't reporting actual news anymore. And that gets people talking. So who weren't having that conversation before and now they just sit there and go, Oh, well maybe I don't want to go watch these Marvel movies because they're all like this. It's like, where did, why do you think that? What Marvel movies have you seen that have done that? Well, no, I've liked all of them. Then why are you saying this? Because I heard it somewhere else. This is exactly what Facebook did to public discourse. Yes, I know we're on Facebook. Fuck Facebook. Fuck Mark Zuckerberg. Hold him accountable. Sue his ass. I'm going to, I said this at the end of the Trump administration, and I'm going to reiterate this. We cannot count on elected officials to do anything. We cannot count on anyone in leadership to do anything. Do you want to, you really want to make sure that these people get what the the punishment they actually deserve we need a civil lawsuit by everybody against them everyone on facebook needs to sue facebook because when you sue them for 2.5 billion dollars that will make them pay attention when you sue trump for everything that he did and he can be sued for it in a civil lawsuit for everything that he is worth, then he will be punished. The rest of nothing else can work. Civil lawsuits. And I don't disagree yet. Somehow I, like, I I know that civil lawsuits are, are coming for a lot of, you know, like our, government leadership or lack thereof Um, they're supposed to be having criminal lawsuits i don't like it's november i don't understand why there has not been a criminal charge against um trump and his entire administrative staff like that should have been that should have been out in february it's november (laughs) i feel like i've heard a lot about like why it hasn't or why it's why it hasn't yet Mm-hmm. But none of that, none of that really, all of those 
excuses escape me at the moment. Uh, but what I was thinking is like, well, I, I know that those are supposed to be forthcoming, you know, in the political arena. I, I have a harder time imagining that happening with Facebook, especially when we struggle to stop using it, even when we hate it. Right. Which is also why they rebranded to Meta. So that I don't see helping at all, but who knows? I I think that's further indication that Zuckerberg is so far removed from reality for everyone else that it, it makes perfect sense to him. But he's what a hundred billion dollars separated from the rest of us. So, nah. um, but yes, the, my point being, these things are not designed to affect directly the thing that they're going after. It's designed to change the discourse so that it keeps building this false equivalence of like, well, there are two sides to all things. It's like, no, there's not. This side has facts. This side is made up bullshit. This is not a side. No, I see. I see your point. I see your yeah. point. Um, I mean, like, luckily, there's people like us who are here to tell you otherwise. There are lots of people out there that are saying the same things that we are, which are don't keep reading, keep being informed. Do not give in to bullshit. Please do not give in to bullshit. And which I feel tends to be a little bit of the message of the Eternals. Sorry, I was reading a, a thing from Norm in the chat, so I'm going to need you to say that again, but not before <laughs> not before we share Norm's comment. Uh, and Norm says, you cannot trust someone who puts, who puts sweet baby rays on a shelf that is not the pantry. I don't know where else you would put your sweet baby rays. I don't understand this reference. Uh, I'm well, sorry. Sweet Baby Ray's is the barbecue sauce. Okay. Um, and apparently you're only supposed to put it in your pantry. I just, I don't know where else one might try to do that. I live in a studio apartment. I do not have a pantry. But do you have a shelf where food goes? I have a cupboard where food goes. And then, I, and then I have pantries to me are a separate room or separate shelf for mm. overstock. Like these are the foods that I'm going to be eating soon. These are foods that I have multiples of for in case there's an apocalypse and I need canned soup. I, when I hear pantry, I just hear like the place where you put your dry goods. Okay. That's fair. Yeah, no, I just have a kitchen. <laughs> um, I put a pantry, i.e. shelves, in my area that is meant to be a dining room. Yeah, but but you have like a separate. It is. It is a well, no, it's shelves. It's just shelves, just out in the open. There's not. They're not like behind a door. I'm not that fancy. Okay, now I understand. So Norm says in the video from Mark Zuckerberg's announcements of. Feta, there was a random bottle of... That makes no sense. Yeah, no, you definitely don't put your barbecue sauce on your bookshelf. It's like someone was like, 
okay, Zach, how do we make you seem more like a normal human? Food products. Let's put some food products in the background. That would be like if I left like bottles of condiments somewhere on that bookshelf there, right there. All right, checking. No condiments in my on my bookshelves. Uh, definitely no. That's like <laughs> he was using it as a bookend. Why? I, I I'm still back at why does Mark Zuckerberg have books? <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Okay, I, I shouldn't laugh because it humanizes Mark Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg. Um, Being a oh. human wouldn't humanize Mark Zuckerberg. That comment mm. isn't going to. Laughing at it is fine. Okay, good, good. Because that is so bizarre. I am I'm, I'm all for... Like, I don't want comedy to make it easier to laugh off these things, but I am 100% behind laughing directly at these assholes because they want to be taken seriously about everything because they are very serious people with no senses of humor laugh at them if you have the opportunity to see them in person laugh at them laugh at them that's why i don't feel too bad about the fact that like 90 percent of my laughing comes from laughing at not with yes (laughs) but back to the eternal Can we even can we even put this train back on the rails? Yeah, I think so. Okay. But the point is that, like, you know, getting into all of the awful things that are going on in the world, things like that get addressed in the Eternals because, again, they're they're encompassing as encompassing as much of the past seven thousand years into a two and a half hour movie with you know a grandiose. third act like you expect from a marvel movie i do want to say it's not as marvel third acty as most marvel third acts yes which yes. i appreciated like it's it's big but it's not overwhelming mm-hmm. it is not yeah it is not the 15 minute battle scene in endgame where everything is like an emotional you know gut punch every two seconds um i i think one of the things that like really helps the eternals stand out from other marvel movies is that even when the superheroes in the marvel movie are not humans or from earth Mm -hmm. it's it's still sort of very like evident that like well, by saving this planet Earth and its humans from this bad guy, we're saving ourselves. We're saving each other. You know, it's all mm-hmm. this like very like uh, very first person type of narrative. But the way that the story is told here in the Eternals, like it, it really, really lays down the groundwork for okay, yeah, these people are trying to save humanity from X, Y, Z, but it's it's the the picture is bigger than that there are more there is so much more to it than saving humans we're not humans not even close yeah there's a um, there's a very big the greater good in this the greater good the greater yes. good um 
And, um, and, and so by telling the story in this way, by telling this story, I think it's not even just about how this movie was made, but the, 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 the core material, the, mm-hmm. the source material is that it makes it much more dialogue heavy. Mm-hmm. And that's not super common for a Marvel movie. Um, yeah, it's le- less about punching their way out of situations and more about talking about what is the real, what is the real issue. It's not even that much about how they're going to beat the big bad or mm-hmm. try to beat the big bad. It's it's really, really, really about why. And mm-hmm. I don't think that that's ever really been part of the discourse in another Marvel movie. They're never, it's, I'm, I'm, I could be wrong, my memory bad, but I struggle to think of an example where whether or not you should save the day and why is part of the plot. I'm struggling to remember now. I feel as though there was, there has been one Marvel movie where the solution to the problem was not, we have to defeat the bad guy. It's, it was, you don't have to be the bad guy. Um, and I, I, I only remember that it was one of the superhero movies because it came out in the same year that the Lego movie came out. And then there was another piece of media. Like there were three pieces of media all in the same year. and The Lego movie was the one that came out first. So the Lego movie came out in 2014. Marvel movie 2014. Sorry, I did not get the results I wanted right away. It's all right, but it, it it had the message of you don't have to be the bad guy. Like in the Lego movie, that's literally what they said. Got it. Like he says, it, what was the movie? What movies came out? Captain America Winter Soldier. Fuck. Yeah. Bucky. Hmm? Uh, good one, good one. Because, I mean... Are all of these from 2014? Wow. What else? It's a bunch. Well, that's when the, the All Hail the King one shot also came out, uh, which you shared with us only recently uh, in all regards Hail... to Shang-Chi. Yeah, All All Hail the King came out as it was a, a short attached to the release of uh, Thor 2, The Dark World. Gotcha. And so then there was also um, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, uh, X Men: Days of Future Past and Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, and oh no, that's into 2015. But of of those given options, it has to be the Winter Soldier. Um, not exactly. No. Uh, what was Days of Future Past? Also had a lot of that. They it didn't end that same way, but a lot of that movie was still centered around the fact that. Xavier wanted to do things one way. Magneto wanted to do things another, and they were both trying to vie for that. What was special about that particular movie was in that narrative, both of them were wrong. The person who was actually right about what to do for mutant kind was Mystique. Mm. Like Mystique was the actual hero of that movie, even though she's not portrayed that way and it doesn't center on her the way it should have. Uh, but that that movie was really 
they were doing a lot with Mystique that I feel like by the end of it, they didn't cash in on the way they should have. Because okay. uh, Jennifer Lawrence was doing something different with that role that honestly was sort of begun by Rebecca Romain originally, since she was supposed to be playing the same version of her. Even though things ended differently. It, it, yeah, it's weird. Timey wobbly. Okay. okay, so it could have been either one. Um, yeah. but, it felt like. But there was the right definitely answer. that theme. Of you don't you don't have to be the bad guy. Okay, but so, but the point the point is made. We'll say yeah. like it's it's not common for there to be a a debate about whether or not this time should we or should we not save humanity. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think that that's that's kind of like the the whole point of of the Eternals. That that is true. Of this this particular story within within this branch of of the Marvel universe, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think that 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 makes for I mean yes the you know like various Avengers had their own films you know working towards becoming the team the Avengers and then there were films in which no one character was necessarily the star, right. But it's like, you know, everyone sort of has their favorites picked out or, you know, characters that they're most tied to or, you know, one of them has to, you know, like, make the the saving kill or whatever. Um, but because this movie starts out where they're already a team, um, you know, and then things for, progress from there, it's it's not it's not any one hero's movie necessarily and for the most part it's it's always considered a team effort and a team story Mm -hmm. Uh, and yet you are right that everyone we get to know a little bit about the motivations and drives behind each of them as individuals and not just as a team um and they're all going to have feelings about it because yeah. they've been there for 7,000 years. I, I think the only two that we get less, largely because I think what they are is exactly what they portray, are both Ajak and Makari. Like, I don't feel like they got as much in-depth story to them. Right. But, but, but we, they also functioned without guile. Right. No, um, yeah, I can agree with that. Like... Ajax is quite clearly the leader and a, a very maternal figure. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the books, Ajax was male. So they, they sw- switching it to cast um, Selma Hayek, Hayek was, was fantastic. She was great. I haven't seen her in a long time, in something in a long time, and she did really well. That's because she had to bow out because of uh, um, the she's been able to regain her career because of uh, the what's that guy's name? Weinstein. Yeah. Harvey Weinstein. Like now that he's out of Hollywood, she's been able to come back and do things. And like be more comfortable about, about them. Cause she, she didn't stop acting necessarily. No, but you, uh, get, you get blacklisted or you decide I'm not mm-hmm. going to be working with any of these production companies because Harvey's involved. 
Right. And if he's involved with 75% of the work that you would normally do, you're going to do far less work. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, but, I, for, I forget that because, I don't know, because I I kind of grew up with her, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then you, there was that long time where she wasn't around, and then only much later do you realize why that is. So. Yep. Uh, there's a disconnect for me. Um, yeah, and and Makari is very much on the surface. She's everything that, like everything that you need to know about her is just right there. Yep. Yeah. Um, you're right. Everyone else sort of has these like, either like a developmental arc or you partway through, you learn something about them that they had not shared before, you know, for various reasons. I don't want to mm-hmm. like, get too into that you yep. don't want to spoil anything but uh but you're right um even uh kingo's character i, I thought was going to be the one that you were like no that's a, you get exactly what you think you're going to get from the beginning that's not true for him either i will say uh i got asked bex asked early on uh if going to the theater is weird and I still think, find it weird. I find it weird now for different reasons than I did two months ago. Um, because, let's see, Shang-Chi was the first movie I went back to the theater for. And then Same. we all spent an entire weekend in a theater mm-hmm. in October. And so, like, this is my third movie-going experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I think that if we had seen this in a non-pandemic time with a full theater, we would have, everyone would have had better cues as to when to react to things in the movie, as opposed to being you, me, and one other person being in eight, we were like eight people in that theater. Not even. Yeah. And there were three of us laughing at the parts that were actually funny. I think I only saw three people walk out. So, including us, that's like five. Okay, it wasn't. <laughs> but very yeah, many. it was. It's it's different when you can hear yourself laugh at a blockbuster film. Yes, and and we did. Like we <laughs> laughed at things, and then there was that dude right behind us that was also laughing. It's like, okay, good. So this is the part that's supposed to be funny. We <laughs> are supposed to be laughing at this. Um. So yeah. Meh. It is. It is going weird. I don't know that it'll ever not be weird to go to a movie theater just because, you know, being close to strangers is forever going to be off-putting if it wasn't already. Yeah, there's that. Now, if, 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 you, are, if you always thought being around strangers was off-putting, now you're just that much more justified. Yep, this is true. But, uh, but it, it feels good to... <laughs> to enjoy a movie in a theater like for better or for worse when I'm at home and I'm watching tv or movies or whatever I'm I'm usually also on my phone or or doing some other activity that splits my attention and you just don't get as engrossed in the same way so I'm sure that there are movies that I would have liked better that I've watched over the last two years if I had seen them on a bigger screen I went out of my way to go see Dune because I I knew it was going to be just like it was designed to be visually stunning and I did not want to shortchange myself on that. That's fair. And I'm glad I did. I 
didn't have to. I wished I wish I uh, I would have liked to have been in an emptier theater for like my own comfort levels, but I am glad that I I got to get get that full experience. You're not the only person that's wanted to go see Dune. <laughs> not by a long shot. Uh, and I mean, you know, that's that's what Denis Villeneuve wanted. And who am I to tell him no? I I don't know. <laughs> I don't I, know. I've never heard of him before this, but I enjoy his work. I'm in that that tiny, like I had mentioned at the theater when we saw this, I'm in the very, very tiny minority of people who I don't care. It's like, I'm not interested in, it's, no, it really is. It's like, I don't have an interest or desire to go out and see Dune. Mm. Um, I think, and it's not because I think it's going to be a bad movie. I think it is everything that everyone has said it is. Um, You're just I not just, invested. I'm not. And the only thing I can think of is it's because I've already had my time with dune and have moved on mm-hmm. like i read dune dune and dune messiah and children of dune when i was in middle school and i watched the david lynch and i've made a point over the years to watch um the extended version that exists solely as a two-night tv movie like they put in a bunch of deleted scenes and padded out with extra commercials so they can run it as a two night event and have two hours per night. Um, which is like, it's the better version because it actually has more stuff from the book. Even though David sense. Lynch hates it even more than the original cut. Oh yeah. He <laughs> absolutely hates that movie. Um, he he hates the, like everything about it. I read that he will not see this one because he's so... Like that, that bridge is burned. Like Dune is is dead to him now as a concept, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and nothing against the current production is. He's just like, nope. I'm that that part of my life is over. That door is closed. And and as much as everyone's going, oh yeah, this is going to be great. I'm like, they didn't they already redo Dune once? And they did. TV show. The yeah, the miniseries. Like a, yeah, on sci-fi. On sci-fi. Mm-hmm. I never saw that. I had not heard of it. Um, was it good? Do you know it? Did you, did you watch it? I didn't care to watch that one either. Mm, so okay. it's like it, it's not it's not a, a a thing that I have against Dune. It's just like I don't care. Mm. And that's that's fair, and I, I understand that. But like, I only just discovered the book mm-hmm. for the first time within the last five years, and I've since read it twice. And I've read Children or Messiah. Uh, then I got this on this expanse, like reread thing before the new one comes out so I, I got diverted but now my next book is going to be children of dune although i didn't like messiah nearly as much and i no. i think that the 1984 david lynch dune is patently not good interesting I, I can see where especially for the time where it came out is is like a total cult favorite and you know like walk walk without rhythm and you know, fear, fear is the little death and all the little buzz, like the, all the catchphrases that it's, it like hammered into pop culture. I, I, I respect it for what it did culturally, but objectively it is not good. And, and it is, it does such a disservice to what I think is a really good book. So I was very, very excited for someone else to take a whack at it. 
Interesting. I don't share those opinions. <laughs> um, I'm sure people are going to come and come burn my house down for having said those things, but no, I don't think so. Um, I think there, there are a lot of people that think that same thing. It's like, Oh yeah, the David Lynch one is horrible. He's right that he, he hates it. And it did a disservice to the books. And I'm like, I, it like having the movie and having the book, like my read of the book and my watching of the movie were very close together. So it's like, it kind of helped like reading the book made it me a lot easier for me to understand the movie. I didn't need a primer or anything for it. So I just, I like the performances in it. I like that they were over the top. Um, it has sting as Phaedra Utha. <laughs> um, it, it, it was Kyle McLaughlin's first huge big budget role. I'm trying to remember if he did that. Probably the best thing about it. Oh, and uh, the woman who plays Shut Out Mapes. Yeah, Linda Hunt. Yeah. Who who won an Academy Award for playing a Vietnamese man? Year of Living Dangerously. Look it up. No, I'm frozen. I can't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wow. Okay. That is a rabbit hole that I will have to go down a different time. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I mean, like, I, I should, think... I should also like, uh, like, elaborate on the fact that I, I don't think David Lynch is for me at all. So that that is also the nineteen eighty four movie more in my. Yeah, I'm like, I'm sure people who don't give a shit about Dune maybe still liked the his movie, or people who like David Lynch. And or, or you know, but vice versa. Like, you, if you if you like Dune, and you like David Lynch, you can probably still like really, really think it's a good job of, mm-hmm. of making that story. But I don't know. I liked Dune when I read it, and I I'm picky about David Lynch. I don't like everything he's done. Yes, yes. Beck says that uh, their husband is over their shoulder right now agreeing with everything I'm saying. And I've mm-hmm. never felt more vindicated. <laughs> <laughs> See, like I said, yours is the more, uh, is tends to be the more common opinion. Not, not that anything about you or, or Bex's husband is common, but there are a lot of fans that feel strongly about that way about Lynch's Dune. Mm. And I concede that point. Like, like uh, it's not a hill that I am willing to die on. No, I, you're just—I guess essentially you're just over it. You're like you're done with that. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, and that, I don't think that, that I don't think that's a hot take or anything. You're Mm-mm. just you're just no longer. That's that's fine. I'm just meh. That's but nice. yeah. yeah. After all that, basically at the end of the day, what we're saying is go watch the Eternals. Yeah, yeah, go see it. Um, I think it is a. I think it is a, definitely a worthwhile and enjoyable film, even if you don't give a shit about Marvels. Yeah, yeah, this is true. Maybe even I, more so if you don't. You know, it's it's not a hindrance. Might even be a boon. Indeed, it's it's uh, it may be set on Earth, but it feels more in line with what they're doing cosmically in the Marvel universe with a from the Thor movies and the uh, Guardians movies. How do you mean? 
Um, because it has more to do with what's going on, not on earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I was going to say more, but I'm not going to do that today. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe when we talk about this again at a later date, if, if we do that. Once, once, uh, Aaron is back from his away mission and has also seen it and we've given folks, eh, I, I guess it depends. This might be one that we have to wait again until it's released on Disney Plus for wide. Maybe. And that's only, I mean, theoretically, it should only be a few months away if Shang-Chi is any indicator. Apparently, it's going to be November 12th. That's that's this week, friend. Oh, man. That's Friday. Oh. Batten down your hatches because... Hey, well, Hashitani is about to pull the lever on that dam. I am. Um, Oh, man. Uh, I'm going to say this last thing about uh, Shang-Chi. The actress Menger Zhang. Watch her. She's, oh, God damn. She's going to be huge. She's... uh, I, I can't say I can't say anything else about her. Uh, she's she's the Shang- one who plays Shang Chi's sister, right? Yeah, that's a, see, that's not actually said in any of the things. We'll bleep that out. We'll get Aaron to bleep that out. I'm That'll so sorry, guys. Um. Oh, and the twelfth, we get the Obi Wan Kenobi trailer. Uh, cool. Yes. All right. So Friday. Friday is Disney Day, apparently. Uh, next I'm week. I'm so sorry, everyone. That's fine. <laughs> the actress Menger Zhang worth watching um next week we should come back with uh both last week's episode and this week's episode of um star trek prodigy yeah i didn't watch it i was on vacation <laughs> i didn't watch it i forgot Ta-da. so oh, and, and hopefully maybe depending on how many people have watched it since then uh some sean k or do you want to wait longer for that i think i want to wait for aaron to be with us Spoilers, okay. Aaron is also going to be on an away mission next week. So it's it's, it's a it's a long mission. Yeah. So for this week and next week, it's just the two of us. We, we can, can make, make it, it if we, we try. try. Just the two of us. You and I. Just the two of us. Okay. <laughs> and with that, uh I have been being Rita. And I have still been Cable Hashitani. And we'll talk to you guys next week.